Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest had her eldest son at 17, her second son at 19, and her third son at 22. She was married at 20 and was divorced at 24. She is a published author of Fifty Shades of Truth, whose testimony of deliverance from methamphetamine addiction and the insanity of living addicted is impacting the lives of everyone it touches. If there's anyone struggling with addiction of any kind, her story is a must hear and her book is a must read. One of the reviews on Amazon reads, Fifty Shades of Truth is a real raw look at how we mindlessly destroy our lives and blame others and how the road to getting your life back is possible. For anyone who needs hope that struggling with addiction, bad decisions and or a dysfunctional life, this is a must read. Please welcome Nikki Thompson to the podcast. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad to be here. No, that's cool. That's cool. So look, wow, what a a life journey. (laughs) Like tell everyone a little bit about you and how you came to write this book, Fifty Shades of Truth. Okay. Uh, So my husband and I married when I was 20 and he was 36. He had custody of five of his six kids and I had two boys of my own. And um, again, I was 20, he was 36 and we had a boy together. So we ended up having seven boys and one girl by the time I was 22 years oh my old. Gosh. Yes, a house full. And uh, my husband was clean, sober, hard worker. You know, this was 20 years ago. What kind of guy has custody of, you know, five of his kids? I mean, he was a great father. And so uh, God blessed us with a construction company. He's always been super handy. Um, and so we were remodeling houses, gutting them from the inside out. And Anthony had reached out to friends from his past, thinking that we were going to bless them with our family-friendly, sober lifestyle. Like we were going to show them, look, we're a family and, and look at how we do things and like do summer work trips to the holiday world or whatever. And so we started having all these workers coming around and slowly but surely, eventually there would be Friday nights when everybody was off work, there would be drinking beer and then smoking cigarettes. And then we found out some of the guys were cheating on their wives. And then eventually lying crept into our marriage, which led to infidelity in our marriage. And then eventually drug dealing in our marriage which of course led to drug use, drug arrest, and finally our separation and divorce. So we had only been married for four years that first time. Um, And when we 
So that so what you're saying is so what you're saying is that you met, you were both sober, you weren't taking any drugs, you had two kids already previously, he had his five, everything was great, everything was ticking along, you were doing normal jobs, both of you had like, you know, you had your own business and stuff like that. And then suddenly through um social influences as yes. such, like friends and things like that, that were um that you were hanging out with, for want of a better word, um, these factors started to come into it and start peer Absolutely. pressure, peer group started to influence one, your marriage and two, yes. the drugs. So, and you know that we run a recovery wow. group now, but then we didn't realize yes. it. You know, we were good people. We were sober and the bottom line is being good isn't good enough. Like you have to fill your house. It um, There's a reason why in AANA and Celebrate Recovery, they say change your people, places, and things. And so when we dug back into those old friends in order, and it wasn't, you know, digging back into those old friends to go to the bars, it was having them come to work jobs. But the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. And we didn't know that. And it literally is a true statement. Um, We did not have any type of foundation about staying sober, why we didn't want to do drugs, why we wanted to be who we wanted to be or what we wanted to be. And therefore, we just ended up like we never even allowed smoking cigarettes on our property the first two years of our marriage. When Freddie was born in 2000, Like people weren't even allowed to smoke cigarettes. They had to like be done smoking before they got to our property because we had eight kids and a new, you know, a newborn baby. And we were just, we were just very picky about, um, protecting our little atmosphere. And we weren't, we weren't, we weren't active in church. Our kids went to church. We went on major holidays, but, um, I mean, we were a family. We sat down and ate meals together. We went camping But by the time the um, drug dealing and cheating and affairs and all that stuff had come into play, and again, this is just four years into our first marriage, we split up. Um, I had moved out with my three boys, and um, everyone laughs when I say this, but in 2002, there was a song by In America uh, by Dr. Dre, and it was called Housewife. And the lyrics went, you can't turn a hoe into a housewife. And so in my mind, you've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> in oh, my gotcha. mind, Hello? I, it was the club song. So in my mind, I, I would think, okay, he didn't want a housewife. He wanted someone to party with. And I did love him and I did miss him. And so I called him up and I said, hey, because when I left him, I was drinking. I was drinking, I was smoking pot. That was the extent of my drug use. But I had heard through the grapevine that he was smoking meth. And so I called him up and I said, Hey, I know you're, I've heard, I know you're doing pot or I know you're doing meth and I want to do meth too. And so he came over and I was instantly addicted. Like I loved the way that it made me feel. I loved the way that I could party all weekends. I could get up and go to work on Monday morning. Um, I was instantly addicted, 100% instantly addicted. And, um, and is, so this summer... Is this, is, sorry to interrupt you. Is the meth no, you're that okay. you're... So, so we have meth in there. We have 
pills over here, but we also have what we call ice, which is meth, pure ice, meth that you similar. smoke. So is that sort of what very you're talking similar. about? Okay. Crystal okay. meth, crystal meth ice. And so there's, there's a couple of different kinds. I'm not now I'm 16 years clean tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow yes. I'll have 16 oh. years clean. So, wow. um, I'm like, for instance, the meth that my husband would make would be from anhydrous. So oh he would go God, to he would farms make it. and he would make it. He ended up becoming a meth cook and it's very dangerous. Like it can blow up, it can combust. Um, and so anyway, um, but there's three or four different kinds right. to the best of my knowledge. So he was um, a bit like breaking bad then. He was a bit like, well, I don't know. Breaking bad didn't do it though. Right. That got the science. He didn't actually do it right away. Right. I don't know. He, he made it. Use. He had a my little caravan used. and he started to make it. He started. Yeah. No, my husband was using. Oh, oh no, I don't think so, he used it. Um, he just made it and sold it. Yeah. So initial. Okay. So, and, and here's the thing. And so this will give you a bit of an idea. So, um, when we had these guys working for us, one of the guys came to my husband and said, Hey, can you get me a bag of pot? And my husband said, dude, you know, I don't mess with that stuff. No. And so my husband remembered this, like God revealed this to him when he was sitting in prison. Okay. The guy asked him for a bag of pot. Tony told him no. And the guy said, Oh, come on. You know where I can get it. My guy's out. And Tony said, man, you know, I don't mess with that anymore. And the guy was like, okay, whatever. I guess I'll go find some. And while the guy was walking to the door, it's like a movie played in my husband's mind. This is a long haired hippie guy driving on a suspended license in a truck with a loud exhaust, a loud exhaust. And if he gets pulled over by the cops and he goes to jail, then who's going to finish his job? My husband's already given him half the pay. He's a siding applicator. And my husband has another job that he needs to pay him for. And now I want you to know, we were literally making 10 to $20,000 a week. Our wow. construction company, we had 30 employees that we housed. I had several guys from the safe house that worked for us. Like we were a legit business, drug-free. Like people were happy that, that people could send their guys to work for us. But within a matter of months, the script got flipped. And so this day was key for that. This guy's about to leave. And my husband says, wait, I'll make a call. And so he calls someone and this guy says, he says, hey, I want to send someone over there. And this guy says, hey, man, you ain't been out the game that long. You're not sending no one to my house, but you can come. So my husband went, picked up a bag. And before you knew it, we were selling 20 pounds of pot every week out of our house. It filled a vacuum cleaner box where we had bought a brand new vacuum cleaner. And we kept that empty vacuum cleaner box in our bedroom. And we just filled it with the gallon bags of one pound bags of marijuana. And then someone introduced my husband into meth and said, man, if you think there's money in pot, and we didn't need the money. So that's the problem. You know, we didn't need the money, but it was easy money. And, 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 you know, the love of money, you just, you, you just think, you just think you need more and you really don't. And you, you and don't it's have a easy. reason to say no. And, 
and it's easy. And then you're providing for your guys that work for you and you're keeping them happy. And like, I, I couldn't tell you how many lies go through your mind to justify it, to justify breaking the law, which is what you're doing. So, um, our children became wards of the state, like CPS got involved. Um, and so when I left Tony, like CPS left me alone. Um, even though I got spun out on drugs, I'm so lucky that they left me alone. He ends up getting picked up and arrested. And while he's in jail, so he's not even relapsed for four months. I left him in May, in May. We used in June and he was arrested by October. Wow. So within four months, he's arrested. And he was sentenced to eight years. And so he did three and a half years. Yeah. And um, while he was in jail, we were divorced. And he would write me all these letters that I felt like were jailhouse religion, just filled with scripture. I'm so sorry. It's all my fault. I should have been a better husband. I know what I did wrong. You know, we should have put God for like just and and to be honest, I felt like I was a good wife and you blew it. I felt like I'm really pissed at this God you're talking about because what kind of God would let all of this happen? We had kids in group homes, you know, um, I'm strung out on meth now, just justifying my use. You're in prison. Like this is ridiculous. And so I just continued to get high. And I was talking with a friend the other night when I was sharing my testimony And it's a horrible cycle, meth. Anyone that tells you that they love it, I mean, you know, maybe the moment you get high, but instantly, as soon as you start coming down, you have regret. It's the same as any any addiction. It's the same as the morning after when you sleep with someone and you regret it. It's the same as a hangover from alcohol. You know, there's remorse. Never again and all of that sort of thing. That you know you really shouldn't do that aren't really healthy for you and are kind of toxic. Let's just say that. If it's really toxic and not super healthy for you, like you know better and and there's always that regret. Well, like like, because I am a little bit of a Jesus freak. So, you know, the enemy, he comes with this condemnation, just making you feel like crap and guilt and shame and you suck and whatever. Well, gosh, you don't want to sit and feel that. So what do you do? You go get high, you go get drunk. Like you, you don't know what else to do. And so that was my circle. That was my cycle for three and a half years. And, and, and so that, so that's, I wrote the book. I, Tony gets out of prison Um, he shows up at my doorstep. I can tell it's real. I write about my Damascus road experience, him showing up and me being able to really tell it's real. And, um, the gist of that is I was an angry drunk. I was an angry drug addict. I didn't have any drugs. I was sure he was here to point the finger and be like, I can't believe you look at you. How dare you raise my son? being strung out on like, I I'm sure I had a blown out vein, bruised arms. He was probably like you. Yeah. I had, I'd gotten on the needle. I'm like, I, I saw him looking at me with disgust. He says he was disgusted with himself because he knew I was exactly where he had led me. Yeah. Now he couldn't explain that to me in that moment 
because I didn't understand any of that. But he was feeling the conviction of you had this wife, you had this family, you had been clean. It's your job to lead them. The man is the head of the household, whether they realize it or not, it is their job to lead the family. And right now we got a lot of men that are doing piss poor jobs. And it's really hard when the government comes in and tries to financially provide, and then the man can't compete. Like there's so many things that are broken about the system right now. Yeah, it's like not even funny. I agree. And and um and then you add, you've got an overwhelming amount of addicts that don't understand what true freedom looks like. So for me, true freedom looked like the day Tony showed up. He showed up and he had a peace that literally passed all understanding. Um, he should have been mad that I was on the needle. He should have been mad that I screamed and yelled at our kid. I cursed out our kid, our five-year-old. Um, I wanted him to get in the other room to leave us alone because I was sure I was going to get a lecture. And so I told Freddie, you know, get get in the other room. You bleepity bleep bleep. Just leave us alone. And um, Tony said, Freddie, come here. You know, Nikki, stop. Freddie, come here. And he picked Freddie up and he put Freddie on his lap and he began to hug him and pet him and rub him and run his fingers through his hair. And he said, Freddie, mommy and daddy really love you. And mommy and daddy really want to hear what you have to say. But mommy and daddy have to talk first. So mommy and daddy want you to be the obedient little boy that you are. And mommy and daddy need you to go in the other room so mommy and daddy can talk. And we'll come listen to what you have to say in a minute. And then when Freddie Freddie ran it, yes, yeah, <laughs> like... Tony was good before Jesus, but Tony with Jesus, girl, I mean, he's so good like that. I mean, it was amazing because the thing is, I completely expected Tony to swoop up and protect the innocent child, but not to cover what I had just said. He had no reason to include me in those loving, kind affirmations. I had just been the biggest a-hole in the world. And, you know, they say the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Well, let me tell you this right now. You want to know what self-control is? When someone curses your child and you don't curse that person. And instead you show that person grace and love. And then you try to teach that person and, and you try to help that person to become better. And that's what my husband's been doing for 16 years. And so that's what we do for other people in our recovery groups. Because if you can help people do that for their children, you break the cycle. That baby, that that little boy that was on my lap, he's in Italy right now in the Air Force. He's a crew chief engineer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. morning. It's Sunday morning where he's at too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday morning here. It's Sunday morning for him. Saturday at night for you. Shame. So, okay. Yes. So your husband came back after he did his prison stint, right? So what was your turning point, though? Because you could have very well said, yeah, 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 thanks for that, but I'm not interested. No, just later. that moment. I'm in my like, little hole. Just that. Yep, yeah, no, just that moment. Like, I wanted what he had. Man, 
it looked good to me. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was miserable. I hated it. And I knew if he could remain calm in the midst of that and not lash out, like when you're on, I don't know if maybe if you've never been around anybody on meth, but anybody that's listening to this, if they've been on meth or been around people on meth, it is so easy to draw people into your chaos, like quick, fast, and in a hurry, you can light someone's fuse. Um, I mean, pretty much any addict can do that. An alcoholic, an angry drunk, like we can all do it. Like we, we know how to make someone completely go insane quick. And so to remain calm under pressure. That's that's a very unusual character quality. And and it wasn't really I mean my husband's always had a little bit of peace but not that much peace cuz he's a, he's a redhead. He's a little bit of a go off. Like my husband used to be a gang member uh before oh I met him. God. Like people used to be scared of him before I met him. Before he was sober, um he used to have this nickname called Red Dog. And one time the cops showed up at my house during our first marriage. My house was surrounded by like 10 squad cars because they thought that he was in there acting a fool. And he wasn't like it was a it was a fake phone call. But yes, yes. And I was like, who did I marry? Like, did I marry James Bond? And I didn't know it. Like, I married a skinny little redhead. He's not like, what's going on? That's funny. But it really, truly was. But um. So, so I wanted what he had and, um, and I could see, like, I had gotten to the place where I was buying pills. I was committing felonies. Um, and I knew it was traceable yet. You give your ID when you buy, um, it's all, uh, statute of limitations is all mine out. So I don't care anymore. (laughs) But But no, no, no. But you were like, but you were like buying prescription drugs. You were going and picking up prescription drugs. What were you, what were you getting? Sudafed. So oh. Sudafed oh. is what it takes to buy, to make meth. It's over so the counter. Only, like you have to have. Over the like, counter. But you it's have over to the show your driver's here. license. You have yeah, to show I think your driver's you do. license I think, in America. It, oh, you, like you do here because people were buying Sudafed, crushing it up and doing stuff with it, which I'm no doubt that was That's what you were doing. That's how you make meth. <laughs> you make meth with oh, it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and so, so I actually had to do a probation for um, I got prosecuted. So I bought them in Kentucky. They never charged me that expired. The statute of limitations ran out. Um, in Indiana, I just like denied the charge and was like, Oh, I bought the wrong size pill. I had to bits, bits, you know, I lied. I was a drug addict and I got out of it. Um, (laughs) in the state of, in the state of Illinois, I'm just being honest in the state of Illinois, I was clean by the time they came at me. And this is funny. I thought I was going to do 21 jump street. So they show up. I had been clean for a year and they were like, okay, we know you bought all these pills. We know that you love Jesus because I had like honk. If you love Jesus on the back of my car, they're like, we know your husband is on parole. We want you to go undercover. We want you to go back to Evansville, Indiana, wear a wire. And if you can get, you know, three or four people on tape, we'll drop all your charges. And I was like, yes, let's do this. Like prison was so great. No, listen, like I'm in a van. My husband's inside the house and all I'm thinking is prison was great for my, I'm being 100% honest. I'm thinking prison was great for my husband. Yes, let's do this. And so I go inside and I tell my husband and he says, fuck no, 
you are not doing like he cursed me like and my husband's a pastor and he went off and he went off with those he went off to those cops and he said she will not and you bring whatever charges you have to bring we will go to court she is not going undercover you have no right to ask my wife to do that and so um he had me quote romans in romans paul tells tells the church that i am a new creation the old things are dead and gone and i am a new creation that old person is no longer who i am and so he he had it written out and i went before the judge in kankakee illinois and i said your honor the person that bought those pills is not who i am i am a new creation in christ <laughs> and i read this and the judge gave me probation and he let me do probation for 2 years and then he expunged my record Oh, wow. And so like it, it went very well for me. However, it could have gone very bad. Like those cops were so mad. They were like, you're going to get prison time and who will take care of your, like, they really tried to bully me into, um, agreeing, but ultimately I, I, I'm a very submissive wife, um, which, but I believe that my husband submits to God and he really has changed. Like that day at my mom's house, I saw that it wasn't jailhouse religion, which is what we're going to talk about next time. Like, you know, a person, how they behave, whether or not they're just blowing smoke out their butt or whether their words match their actions. And you can honestly say whether it's just wishful thinking or if they really are walking the walk and talking the talk. And I mean, ultimately, we just have to get to a place where we're willing to say, okay, I got to, I got to cut ties here. This one's not, this one's not holding up their end or yes, this one's doing it. We've made, you know, we've, and, 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 and and those are hard things to do, but they're necessary. Otherwise we get walked on. Yeah. But anyway. So, okay. So your husband turns up, he says, no, 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 this is what, so did you at that point go, yep, right, I'm getting clean now and stop and straight away? Or was it a couple of months or? Um, it or... was a month. Um, okay. So he showed up the end of April and um, so he paroled out to Kankakee and he, sh- I was living in Evansville. So it's about a, a five hour drive and he oh, drove okay. down so and just showed away. up. He surprised me at my house and he said, you know, can you take me back? I drove him back. He said, we'll talk. And then he said, basically, I would like for you to move here. I'd like for you to relocate. And I said, um, well, the kids are in school, so I can't do it till school's out the end of May. But, you know, let me think about it, which I already knew I wanted to. Um, I was pretty sure I was sick and tired of Evansville. Um, And when I went up there, I really had a piece and wanted what he wanted. But the thing is, you can't, I, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, white knuckling something, like you try with all your might, but you just can't do it. So a lot of times we'll get people that will come into recovery and they'll be like, I tried my hardest, but I just couldn't do it. Well, a lot of times it's not us, but we have to surrender. Like, and, and it's really hard to explain what that looks like. And I mean, there are, there's multiple things about it, but for me, what happened, the reason I kept relapsing was 
I would leave. He was my sobriety. He was my strength. He was my shield. As long as I was around him, it was easy. But the minute I would leave his side and I would begin to come back to Evansville, my phone would ring. Wow. Someone would text me and there would be a party or there would be free drugs or an ex would call me wanting to get back together. Because as much as drugs was my problem, sex and porn was my problem too. Like as much as um, sex and porn was my problem, po- uh, pride and attention was my problem too. As much as, you know, like I had lots of problems. It wasn't just those things. Um, control, like I really liked um, the thing with, I, I struggled, I, I slept with both men and women there for a while. And the control that I was able to have by dominating who I was be able to be in control with just because I was like this new age girl, because in the methamphetamine world, it's a very, it's a very fast and sexual world. Um, I went to swingers clubs. I went to gay bars. I was just very, um, and the thing is like up until probably two years ago, I had never really spoke about any of this to anyone. We always shared about how I had overcome meth. We always talked about over, you know, that, but what had happened. Um, so I want to, I want to re- rethink where I want to go. So the end of May, I relocated and, and moved up there with him. Okay. And so cold Turkey quit meth because I changed my people, places and things. And what he had me do was he changed We didn't watch any, like he changed what we watched on TV. I did not have internet. I did not have Facebook. I didn't have any connections. Like um, 16 years ago was right when Facebook had come out. MySpace, MySpace was just on the end. Facebook was just new. I didn't get Facebook till, um, I think, I don't know, maybe four years into my sobriety, four or five years. Like I waited a while. So um, anyway, fast forward, you know, we spend the next 10 years raising our kids, just doing the best we can, um, living Sober, life, both of you are sober. Sober. Both of us are sober. Um, working together, you know, um, family friendly, not over the top Christian Um, By the time our kids hit high school, we do put them in Christian school, though. We had done public school, grade school, and middle school. But um, I really started, like, when I started finding out that, um, you know, they were having to watch the kids in the bathrooms, and there was a lot more, like, I didn't realize kids were, like, having oral sex in the bathrooms and things like that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do you not know that? Oh, let me put it this way. It wouldn't surprise me what goes on anywhere. America, UK, Australia, it wouldn't surprise me. They're kids at the end of the day. They're experimenting and they're doing stuff. But what age are we talking about here? So my kid, my oldest is 25. So this is 10 years ago. So they're 15. So So at 15, 14. So this was right before he was going into high school and um, I did not want him going into the public high school because that, because they, at the eighth grade year, 
they asked, they needed people to come help with um, lunch monitors. And I was like, okay, I could do that. I had volunteered for field trips. And I said, why do you need lunch monitors? And they told me that um, the girls had been sneaking into the boys' bathroom and giving blowjobs. And this was See, in eighth I grade. Say, and, I, I'm, and I'm talking probably, I, I'm talking 35 years for me, right, when I was 15, right? But I sit there and I go, that would be the that would you would be called a scaggy whore if you went to the bathroom giving boys blowjobs, right? I mean, yes, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a different yeah. world now, but, but it's like, very, it's very, very common oh. now, and and, oh and my it's God. sad, and it's sad. And then the thing is, like, because you it don't, means that I, for it, me, it means that girls don't actually respect value themselves, themselves, value themselves. Yes, it's actually more yes. of a value to go and give a bloke. Or a boy, a boy, a blowjob in a yep. school bathroom that like we would, yep. yeah, no. Oh, wow. So, so when that happened, I was like, okay, our kids can't yeah. go to high school. We've got to send them to Christian school at least, you know, <laughs> so, um, because, and, and my thing and, is, and like, I, and I'm, I have to say to you, Nikki, right. I'm like, I'm not religious, right? I'm I'm like I accept all religions. It doesn't matter uh-huh. what anyone thinks of. You're a human being at the end of the day, and I respect you as 100%. a human being and Absolutely. what your views and religion are. But I wouldn't my, want my kid to go to a school like that either. Do you know what I mean? He would be going to Catholic or Christian school this as is, well. This is so. This is this is my this is when I wrote the book. I felt like I was going to probably get attacked a lot, and this is wow. my view, and this is going to be the view till the day I die. I have ran Celebrate Recovery for five years. I do not go into the bars and say turn or burn. You've got to quit drinking because if you feel that you're turn okay drinking, burn. I want you to drink. If yeah. you feel that you don't have a problem, I I do, a person forced against their will is of the same opinion still. I agree with Let you. Let me oh, repeat that. I agree. A person forced against their will is of the same opinion still. They have to want to change. They so do. So I wait till they come to me. That's the same thing with my book where I talk about homosexuality, pornography, multiple part. So my book talks about my meth addiction, my pornography addiction, which led to the homosexuality. So my porn addiction, I felt like lesbian porn was safer porn because it was softer oh. porn. This was, okay. this is, was my thoughts. I don't know why I thought that, but I've had lots of girls um, that have read my book and said, oh my gosh, it's like you read my thoughts. So in 2002, so 20 years ago, wow. there was a music Sounds video. ominous when you say that. <laughs> I know, but, but this is the thing. So 20 years ago, there was a music video and it had two little school girls kissing in the rain in yeah. little school girl uniforms. I can, I've okay. even got the tune in the back of my head actually. And I can't think what it's yep. it, it, called. It, it was yeah. in a disco club. It's in my book. Yeah. I put it in my book and yeah. the um, Russian music producer, yeah. he said, he said, I wanted, and the, and the two girls, the band, they weren't even gay. No, they were, they no, no, were no, no, you can, you can, if you Google them, yeah, if you Google them now, and I can't even think of their names at the moment, but if you Google them now, tattoo, 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 that's right. And if you Google them yep. now, they said we were both straight, but like, oh, maybe one yep. of them is gay, but anyway, and they said, but it sold more records, etc. if they made out that they were gay. Yep. 
And that video started me on lesbian porn. Oh my that God, video. really? Wow. Yes. It didn't have so that effect on me, I, but fair enough. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, I had never thought about women before, but the thing is they admit that they got millions of letters of people that said, so see, the thing is seeds are planted every day and it could be a seed for, it could be a seed for shopping go buy another pair of shoes that you don't need. Or it could be a seed for, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, I don't know what what it is, but um, I had never thought about girls ever. Some people say I was born this way. I have a word in my book called culturevate. And I believe that TV shows are desensitizing our children, not just to sex, not just to homosexuality, but to anything anti-family, anti-authority. And that's what my book talks about. Violence, respecting and honoring parents, porn, sex before marriage, swipe right and hook up. Um, like anything anti-family, anti-authority. The game Grand Theft Auto, you can get a blowjob and you can hear it and then if you kill the girl, you don't have to pay her for sex and you get extra life. I, I it is horrible. Go there. And now it's... the thing is, I didn't, I didn't know anything about the game, but one day, Freddie, the one that's in the air force, he must've been, he told me the other day, he said, mom, I think you put in the book. I was six, but I had to be eight because I couldn't read at six. So, so I may have miswrote it. I can't, I'll have to look in the book what I wrote but I had six or eight. So your son's age, close to that. He's on his brother's phone. So I have no idea. His brother has brought this phone in. So we've got a family friendly home. I really try to monitor it. He's playing Grand Theft Auto on his brother's phone. He says, hey, mom, I'm in the dumpster. Should I pick up the dildo? I don't know what it is. What do you say to your son right now, Claire? Drop the dildo. dildo. Don't touch the dildo, right? (laughs) But the thing is, right, but also you can't say, oh, it's dirty, it's disgusting or whatever because at the end of the day, like, you know. But you don't want to I'm a single mum, right? Dildos are all right for me. I'm a single mum, right? I don't have to deal with that. But I don't want my (laughs) six-year-old to actually be asking me whether to pick a dildo up or not and to use it as a weapon or whatever. I mean, that's why. time for you to explain it to him, not at six. No. I don't want him to know what a dildo is at six. Be playing basketball (laughs) and football and soccer and stuff, not dildos. Yes. Don't dildo bash anyone. that's why I wrote the book. That's yeah. why I wrote the book. I just think that parents hand their children these phones mm. and they have no idea what's on the other side of them and no, that our right. kids are raising themselves and um, that there are things that are, that are just so, so for our kids, you know, we made them read a book and we made them play outside before they could play video games. Every day they had to read for 30 minutes and they had to exercise for 30 minutes. Um, and the cousins, which are my nephews, always made fun of coming over to our house because we have, like right now, I have, which, I mean, it's for whenever grandkids come, but there's an elliptical. But I don't care if there's snow on the ground. You you do not get the Wi-Fi password. You do not just get anything. We foster parents in a couple of little boys. They had to exercise. They had to read books. You know, uh, I don't know if you know who Ben Carson is. Um. 
so he was a guy here in America. Uh, he wrote the book Gifted Hands, and he was the first doctor to successfully separate Siamese twins. Well, his mom, she couldn't read, and she made her kids read two books a week and write reports on it back in the 60s. Well, she raised a engineer and a brain surgeon, and she's an African-American woman. So guess what? All she had was a library card. Yeah, exactly. So there's no excuse. There's no excuse to not training up your children. It's just we're lazy. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. Like my my son does get. I mean, I say this, and he's here in the house with me because I'm talking to you on a Sunday, so he is on his iPad. Yeah. But he's also going to be out all afternoon. Um, he's yeah. on a play day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. After school, while I'm cooking. He has half an hour on his iPad because I finish work, I pick him up from school, I cook, and then no iPad. You know, he sits, yeah. we read, we do lessons, we play games, we sort out, he practices piano and bits and pieces like that. And, oh. um, yeah, no, shame, I know. Mummy tries and practice piano as well, and he goes, I'm better than you, Mum. So I'm like, right. <laughs> Uh, I love it. <laughs> but, you know, and we talk to my parents in the UK because our evening is their morning. So, you know, various different things like that. But I'm like, you're not sitting sucked into a screen. And, like, yes. when we're out for dinner and we're out at a restaurant, uh-uh, mummy, can I have your phone? No. We're sitting here and we're, like, with friends, so we will have a conversation or we will do whatever um, and go from there. So, yeah. Yes. I want to try and Absolutely. instill that you are not sitting on your phone while you're at a restaurant, while you're out yep. supposed to be socialising. Phone stuff is not socialising. So unlucky. Absolutely. You know, yeah, deal with it. So, yeah, yep. no, I agree. I agree. So, okay. We went, Sorry, go. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go. No, I was just going to say, we went to my uh, brother's uh, stepdaughter's graduation. Uh, so my brother's a widow. His wife was um, oh, tragically shot like four or five years ago by a stray bullet, super random. So we went to, so her um, grandparents have raised her and she was graduating from high school. And the, the dinner, the party afterwards was at a church, but um, she's going to college. She gets to live with her grandparents and, um, so we were talking last night to her and she's got a, she's got her head on her shoulders. She's doing great and stuff. And so she said, yeah, once I turned 18, I got uh, my parents put the, um, I get to close my door now. And, um, she could always just only have it cracked, but she wasn't allowed to shut it all the way. And I said, good parents. I said, there were times my husband took the boys's door right off the hinges. Like I get privacy. I do get that. But again, this is my home and I'm the adult. And there may be some people that disagree with me. And that the good news is you get to parent your kids the way you want. My, my kids are all healthy and they're all functioning adults. They're married. They've got their own kids. And I tell them, and, and believe it or not, all my kids left home at 17. And that could be because I was an overbearing parent, but they could all function. They all were able to get good jobs um, Freddie went into the military. Alex was in college at 17 and Josh had an amazing job in a factory. I think he was making like $21 an hour at 17. So like my, like the boys all launched great. Um, but they were, they were very mad that, you know, we were super overprotective parents, but, um, now at 25, 24 and 21, um, 
I, I can see the fruit of that and I'm not mad about it. And all I tell them is, guess what? You get to do it differently. Like if you didn't love certain things that we did, then then do it differently. But when all the kids come home and they'll joke about dad making them, you know, do exercises or go outside and run laps before getting to play the video game or whatever, you know, I, I mean, America struggles with obesity. The kids that playing with the phone, not connectivity. Um, my kids can all hold great conversations, socialize. I mean, it's it's important. And now we're getting to do that with our grandkids. You know, um, we didn't get to have as much time with the adult Tony's older kids. Um, after prison, a couple of them came to live with us, but not all of them. So we've had them for seasons. They're uh, one hour north of us in Evansville. And we get to have them come back and stay with us here and there. I had three of the grandkids for a weekend just uh, before Easter. And we've gone camping with them and they come down and stay. But, um, you know, it's important to like, and at grandma's house, you don't get the Wi-Fi password. You know, I'll let you play the Wii. I'll let you play a video game. You know, we'll, we pick and choose what we're going to watch on TV. Um, but, and, and when we watch stuff, we, we talk about it. We have discussion. I told one of the girls, I said, yeah, we'll watch that. Grandma wants to critique it. She goes, what's critique mean, grandma? And so, and, and you may know this, it was that show turning orange. Oh, and so I had God. heard all kinds of people talk about it and I didn't want to say bad things about it. I, if I haven't watched it, I'm not going to co-sign what everyone's no. saying about this rebellious girl. Right. So here's my scenario. My 12 year old granddaughter says, well, grandma, she's coming into herself and she has the right to tell her mom that she's becoming, you know, she's growing up. And so that's just, it's just that that's what happens, grandma, when you grow up. And I said, okay, grandma just went and picked up her dad in Minnesota and her dad doesn't like to drive past 60 miles an hour because that's where he gets the best gas mileage. And grandma Nikki really likes to, to conserve her time. And <laughs> I don't like, I don't like doing a 900 mile drive in 14 and a half hours. I want to get it done in 12 hours. But because that's my dad and he's my elder and the Bible says, honor your father and mother. Do you think I just did what I want because I'm a grown up, or do you think I listened to my dad? And I mean, my granddaughter, her mouth dropped wide open and she was like, I guess you had to listen to your dad, huh? Even though you're a grown up. And I said, exactly. I had to listen to my dad because that's the right thing to do. Like, what the heck? Yeah. And so it was perfect, but she got it. She understood it. And it was great. And like those teachable moments. And I'm not saying the little girl growing up and, and like, we got to have that push and pull and, and teachable moments. But yeah. at the end of the day, you don't get to be a butthole to your parent when they pay the bills and they put up with you, you know, be kind, apologize. Yeah. But yeah. parents, if you're mean to your kid, apologize to your kid. Exactly right. Exactly. I agree with you. It goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. It does. Wow. So, okay. So, so you got, how long did it take you to get clean? Did it, was it fairly instantaneous? Like, yeah, did you just go, right, that's it, cold turkey? Summer. Yep. Cold turkey off the needle. My husband said I slept almost the whole summer. Um, I don't really remember withdrawals, but I did. So I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't know anybody there. I was five hours away. 
And, um, and I had my kids, I had my kids and I had my husband, we got remarried. And, um, so I slept a lot and I ate a lot. Um, I, I still smoked cigarettes. It took me a couple of weeks to quit smoking cigarettes. I didn't drink. I didn't, I didn't smoke pot. I didn't do anything else. Um, one time I really wanted to drink. I I'd gotten mad. My husband and I got in an argument. Um, we had, remember I told you I had honk if you love Jesus on the back of yeah. my car. And so I pulled into a liquor store and someone honked and then I felt really bad. So I pulled out of the liquor store. Yeah, it was funny, but, um, nope, cold Turkey, cold Turkey. Wow. So it's been good. Get on you. Get on you. Cause that's yeah. hard. That's hard. It, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So, okay. So let's come to present day, right? Cause that's like you said, like 16 years ago tomorrow. Yeah. Like yeah. my today, but your tomorrow. <laughs> yep. Wow. 16 years. Good on you. Well done. Well done for the 16 years. Like big clap for you for that because it's I'm like, so excited. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? It's not as though you just go, right. Well, that's it. That was one period in my life and that's it. It's over with. Like I can imagine that so, it was a battle for, for the first few years. It would have been a battle. So I tell people, um, I remember there were times like going to Evansville was really hard because I oh. still had family there. Yeah. So we would go there to visit and I would remember in my mind, maybe trying to plan an argument. How can I get away? And Tony wow. was very smart. He was like, he, he made sure to stay with me, to protect me. And I really think, again, most people were scared of my husband. The previous well, yes. Tony from 20 years ago, like I said, and I keep telling him, um, that he really needs to write his own book. Yes, he um, does. We went up to Chicago and took pictures of all the plates. So his dad kicked him out at 14 and he was sent to wow. Chicago. And that's when he got, um, in the gangs and he lived in Chicago from 14 to 26. So for 12 years, he was in Chicago and I met him when he was 36. So, um, anyway, um, so probably I would say the first five or six years, every now and then when we would go to Evansville, it would be hard, Yeah. but we didn't go that often, you know, three times a year at the most holidays or whatever. And, um, then we moved to new Orleans, um, six years after I was clean, we went there to plan to church. Um, and New Orleans was the hardest, but the best part of my recovery ever, because you can't keep something you're not willing to give away. And I didn't want to go to New Orleans. I thought, why would God want me to go there? It's dangerous. Like, first off, my kids are going to end up like becoming sluts because it's like Sin City. It's oh, like, wow. I cannot keep them pure in New Orleans. There's no way. And, um, there's drugs, there's partying, there's Mardi Gras, there's boobies everywhere. Like that's not where I'm supposed to go. And, um, so I did not want to go. And I went to my pastor's wife and I said, there's no way that God's calling me there. And she said, well, I mean, have you asked it? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed for your marriage? Have you prayed for your husband? Have you prayed for God's will? And there was, I was doing a Bible study and in the Bible study, there was this verse and it said, we cannot sit in our basement, eating our can of beanie weenies, waiting for the end of the world. 
We have got to get out there and share the good news because if we don't share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world, who will? And then someone told me with Tony getting out of prison and finding work and restoring our marriage and being free from meth and me being free from meth and him being a felon, being able to get a good job and like all the things that we had going on. Uh, New Orleans has the highest prison rate. New Orleans has the highest recidivism rate. New Orleans has one of the highest drug rates. It has the lowest um, education rate. Like there's so much poverty in New Orleans. Uh, my family's biracial. And so the pastor that called us down there, um, like I, he knew us. He was one of the, he was one of the court workers when our kids were wards of the state. Like wow. he knew us before the divorce, during Tony's prison sentence. And then the six years after he watched what God had done. And so, um, when we went to new Orleans, we were able to feed the homeless. Um, my youngest son, Freddie did prayer walks and prayed for people, led people to Christ, um, prayed for my husband's ankle. He had, he, it looked like it was broken. Like he fell off the truck and trailer. And I mean, it looked like a bone was sticking like right out. Um, like we had, we, we would cook and feed 50 to a hundred people outside our house every Thursday. When there was a hurricane, we had a generator and there was no power in the neighborhood for six days. And so everyone would come and I would cook for them breakfast, lunch, dinner. They would charge their phones on our front porch. And then several people from the community would come in and, and we just kept playing the same movies over and over in our living room and just, you know, kept, kept hanging out with people. And I mean, just building relationships. And, um, I mean, we did more bonding as a family, but we received more persecution as well. Like our windows were busted three different times with bricks. Um, I mean, yeah, like all kinds of stuff stolen from us, just, it, and it, and it was a drunk driver totaled all four of our vehicles and then drove three more blocks and didn't hit another car totaled all. Four. So he was in a big SUV and like he rear, like he hit the back end of one of our trucks and his tire got like yanked off in such a way that it kept pulling him into every one of our vehicles. And then finally it got yanked complete two o'clock in the morning. Oh every my one God. of our car alarms is going off. And then the fourth vehicle, it got ripped right off. And then he drives three blocks. My husband chases him down the road. The guy runs back to our yard and the cops end up catching one of the guys. Full coverage insurance, it all got covered. We were taken care of, but like, and then look, here's the catcher. I said, it cannot get any worse. And the next day, poop backed up in both of our bathtubs. No. And it wasn't uh, even uh, our poop. It was other people's poop. It was like city poop suit, like, oh, like everyone's man. poop. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. Oh but, my gosh. So what are but, you, so what, so what are you guys doing today then? So like, um, 
so we we left New Orleans to come up here to Madisonville, Kentucky, which is an hour so- south from Evansville, from where we were drug addicts, where our oldest kids live. Um, we came up here with the intentions to travel and share our story. And um, my cousin lives here. She gave us a room in her um, efficient. She had a mother-in-law suite. So we were staying there and we shared our story with her pastor. And he said, hey, would you start a Celebrate Recovery? Uh, the city has tried to have one um, like four or five times and it's never been successful. And so we thought about it and we were like, yeah, we'd love to. And so here we are going on. It's been over five years. Wow. So we started it. <laughs> um, we bought a house. We've got a couple of acres. and. Um, Now, my kids, I got one of them. They still live in New Orleans. Thanks to New Orleans, I do want to say this. Two of my kids met and married wives. And I have four grandchildren, thanks to New Orleans. So, like, I can't hate on New Orleans too much. Um, But we've been back here in Kentucky now for six years. Um, I started writing the book five years ago. God told me to write it. Um just about about the media so it's called 50 shades of truth and truth is made up of lies and it just talks about you know the lies that the media pushes that desensitizing of our youth um and so working in celebrate recovery that's what i see i i i don't just work with addicts i work with moms, single moms, so many single moms who are lonely and tired of Mr. Wrong, who are struggling to raise their kids right. Um, And then they're struggling for their kids to respect them. And they don't understand that, you know, they're letting their kids watch these shows that are garbage. And, and guess what? You can be the mom that's different and have a kid that respects you And in the long run, it'll be so worth it. Um, You know, and like I love, I get my moms to watch true stories with their kids. Watch real life, like like your boy, little, six years old. I would recommend pet stories, dog stories, cat stories. You know, you watch those real life hero stories about dog and cats. And you, you get to have those conversations about, you know, being the hero and being strong and being a champion. And that's inside you too. And, and those are the feel good. You can do it instead of some beat up bully, butthole garbage yeah. that all the other shows are. And yeah, then you I wonder agree. why your kids are mean. Well, and so, it, it, um, yeah. And there's stuff that, um, it is about policing what they watch, and it's stuff like he might he moaned at me this morning because he wanted a game on his iPad, which he's on at the moment while we're interviewing. But and he wanted a game, yeah. and I said, "No, you're not going to have it because it's uh, it's an it's an older kids game." So, and he was like, yeah. "Oh, you always do this," and I'm like, "Well, I, dude, I don't care. I don't want you playing yeah. a game where you're going to have to kick somebody in the head or whatever." Because yeah. although yeah. that's a game it like becomes normal to you and like yeah. you're not mature enough to deal Good with that. Mom. And yeah, nah, it's like, nah, you just got to be careful yeah. with that Good stuff mom. really. And it's frightening. I, I think we believe because we're older, mature or whatever, but we believe that things, 
yeah, oh, that'll be okay. That won't affect them or whatever. And because I'm, I'm so much older, but like, we forget what it's like to be six. I mean, yeah. I can't remember what it was like to be six. Um, there are periods in my childhood that I remember, but I can't remember what it was like to be six every day. Um, and we didn't, ha- yeah. I didn't have computer games when I was six. We had to get out there and play in the garden or do whatever, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we don't realise the effects that it's actually having on our kids. And some kids it might not affect, but there are other kids that it really has a drastic effect on. Um, And you've just got to, you've got to manage that and and enable them to do things um, and watch things that basically um, they can handle at their ages. And there's absolutely age appropriate. We don't even want to go down the Roblox Avenue because Roblox enables them to chat with anyone, right? And I was just like, um, wow, yeah. we're going to turn all of that off. <laughs> so it's like, turn it all off. And I'm lucky, right, because I work, my day job, I work in IT, right? So I do know some of the pitfalls of the IT environment, applications, cyberbullying, um, you know, yeah. um, paedophiles stalking our children online and things like that, right, and grooming our kids and stuff like that. And it starts yeah. out so innocent. And if you're not switched on as a parent, and I'm desperately trying to get people on this podcast who are able to talk to parents about security, cybersecurity, right, because it is yes. so, I wish so I knew crucial. more about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's so crucial. Wait, as, Things as like as, cameras as on your you laptop. As soon as as soon as you have someone on, I I will play the podcast for my celebrate recovery moms. Like yeah, I will make no, that let a you know. Thursday night testimony. Seriously, because um, which when I was foster parenting, they did so good about having cops every three months. We had a police officer talk to us about that. Because they worry about it so much for foster kids because they're at a higher risk. But I mean, that should be, that should be mandatory for regular parents and school board meetings. Like uh, it's just unbelievable what's out there and, and how so many people are in la la land. I mean, it's great. I mean, Oscar's school has basically had two sessions with um, people who come on webinars and stuff like that to actually talk to the parents about cyber security, which has been brilliant, um, and hats off to the school. But there needs to be more focus on it because if they can't if you're a parent who can't attend that webinar or you forget about it, well, you just don't, you know, you just don't like attend it right yeah so you don't know so yeah it needs to get out there a lot more we need to be a lot more woken up about what's out there from an internet perspective absolutely even the just even the stuff that we see as innocent like instagram posts and facebook posts and stuff like that are affecting our children they are a window into people's lives that basically um there's just a window into a section of their life. Their whole life isn't like that, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Even documentaries, documentaries are a window into the life that, you know, we don't get on all holds barred, like access. The Kardashians aren't giving us access to everything. They're giving us access to what they want us to see. What is drawing people into what they want us to see, but we don't get to see all of the behind the scenes stuff. So yeah. When I, when I published my book, I made it 18 and older because when I was researching for it, um, you know, two or three years ago, 
I had been clean right at 13 years and I did a lot of, um, life sites. Um, I listened to this podcast, Jonathan Van Morrow, Mark, I think, but he has tons of ex porn stars or, um, traffic people that had been trafficked or whatever. And, um, the old Nikki, me pre sobriety, I had thought I wanted to be the female Hugh Hefner. Like I had this game plan. So I, I, talk, <laughs> I thought that because I had multiple girlfriends and I thought that I was going to travel across the United States, hitting up swingers clubs, buying pills as I traveled, maybe shooting some porn video because I really thought people enjoyed making porn. It looked like they were having fun. Wow. I, okay. I didn't know that they weren't. Yeah. But yeah. when you listen to some of those people and find out that they're being beat or they're being threatened or they're being coerced or they're being shot up with drugs or, I mean, ch- like, I wasn't watching violent porn, so I didn't realize how, you know, bad it got. But again, this, I was watching it 17 or 18 years ago. Well, now apparently they choke them and they like multiple, 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 20, 30, 40, 50 people and just like crazy things. And I think I could have been picked up at any time and I was protected. And you have no idea how grateful I feel that my naive, dumb, self did not get picked up because I was so gullible and it was right at the beginning. I took my taxes. I bought into passion parties. I had bought into a bunch of adult toys in February. The toys arrived in March. My husband got out of prison in April. I literally had just started like traveling and had things picked up. I don't know that he would have got me out of that world. Wow. And um, so, and I talk about that in the book. And so that's why I say that the book is for 18 and older, because I, I, I believe kids hear it all the time, but I don't want some mom coming and saying, why'd you tell my kid that? I, you know, I'm sure they're watching it on Netflix because you probably don't even have parental settings on. I didn't have parental settings on. I had no clue. My kid, my my kid told me to watch something and it, I was like, I cannot believe you recommended this to me. This is horrible. This is soft porn. I like it's anyway. I know. Topic, no, sorry. look, I know. And it, like, I, I do have parental settings on mainly because I am in IT. So I know how to set them up and I know what to do. Right. Yeah. But, um, talking to, um, talking to people within the industries, right? They're saying we need to be talking to our kids at younger and younger ages. You know, you need to be talking to eight, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds about drugs and vaping and, you know, sex and all of those sort of things because it's getting younger and younger. And it's out there, you know, Instagram, all of these innocent places like Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok and all of this stuff, um... Yeah, it's uh, a... And the biggest thing, the biggest thing I could say um, for parents, if your child ever comes to you and you feel shocked, breathe and don't overreact. Yeah. Because you never want them to not come to you again. 
And so that is the, in all the research I did about, about sexual abuse, about seeing porn, about all of these things, as I was getting ready to write my book, that was what so many different podcasts, major speakers, major people um, in the industry. There's a book out there, uh, a woman that wrote a book called Good uh, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And oh, she wow. has two different books. She has one for small, small children. And she has one for like, um, like grade school children, just talking about sometimes we wear bathing suits, but like when you're on a school bus, if someone tries to show you other pictures, don't look at them. You should not look at them. But if you have seen them, I don't want you to feel bad, but that's not, you're not, those are bad pictures. And the book explains it in the most beautiful way. But she also explains if you overreact and that's our natural response, you will scare your child from talking to you again. And I would have never thought about that. But like that, that's the best advice I can give any mom, especially surrounding media, TV, advice, games, all of this. When they come and tell you, do you know what Jimmy's doing or what I just found out or what I saw? Don't act shocked. Just say, you know, you have to calmly process it because you want your child to come to you with anything. Yeah. You and it's like saying want to them, them to be able to come to you. Thank you for coming and telling me that, you know, and also if you yes. think, if you think your child is doing something that you're not happy about, um, i.e. self-harming, taking drugs, doing like as a parent, you just want to protect your child because that's what we innately do. Right. Sometimes going and saying, hey, I discovered this in your bedroom and I'd like to talk about it or like, you know, sometimes that's not going to work because they're just going to go, I don't want to talk or whatever. But yeah. sometimes it's around, well, look, um, help me to help you, um, you know, um, tell me what I need to do to help you or whatever because sometimes they don't want to discuss it and talk about it but, you know, or say like, um, I'm here if you need to talk to me at any time or whatever. You know, it's it's really difficult and hard. And I'm talking about older kids now, like teenagers and whatever, because yes. it's yes, a, it's absolutely. really quite hard um, to do that. Um, but I don't. Yeah, kids. I wish they come with a manual. To, you do have to prepare. You do have to prepare yourself for those. You have to mm. worst case scenario. What am I going to say? Yeah. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and plan so, for it and prepare for it. So how do people get in contact with you then? How do people actually, um, is your book out there on like Amazon and stuff like yes. that? How do, how do people, yes. how do people contact you? Do you right. have a website? I do. So 50 Shades of Truth. So it's the number five zero shades of truth. And so .com is the website. The book is on Amazon. You can get the book on the website. And then we also have a ministry website, prisoner number sign two, prisoner two preacher dot org. That's our nonprofit. And there's videos. Uh, the book promo is on both websites. That kind of explains a little bit about the book. You'll see me um, talking about it. And you can order the book, you can order t shirts. Uh, we go around traveling and speaking and sharing our testimony. I, I mean, we're just in America, 
right now, but um, right. we're going to go to Italy to see Freddie. I can't speak Italian, so I don't know what I would do Neither there. Can I, but that's okay. Some... You'll be fine. They'll probably speak better <laughs> English. It'll be okay. <laughs> so I'm super excited for that. But um, yeah, so yeah, they can find, I'm, cool. I mean, you guys have Facebook, obviously, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm on all the socials and, and all that information is on our, our websites, cool. 50 shades of truth. It's written out five zero. So it's obviously a mock off of the 50 shades of gray. Gray. Yeah. That's, okay. that's kind of where I got it. So, um, but instead of 50 spelled out the word, it's the number five zero. So they couldn't yeah. get me for taking it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think Prisoner to Preacher is a great title for your husband's book. So get him writing oh, it. I'll, get him writing one, it. 100%. 100%. Yeah, yes. yeah no, I that's agree. cool. Look, Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you, yes, finding out you so about much. your journey. Um, wow, what a journey. Well, you've, like, experienced so many things in life. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But, look, I'm glad you're all in a good place. You're doing good things. Um, it's awesome. Yes. All of your kids turned out great, which was brilliant. Um, it's brilliant. Thank you. Look, yeah. I have one final question. If you could have a superpower, what would it be, Nikki? What would, what would it be? I really wish that I could heal other people's hurts. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, I know that I know that sounds cheesy, and I really wish that it wouldn't. But I've been I've been blessed from so much. I really wish that I could give someone else my faith that would heal their hurts. And I I don't know any other way to say it. Yeah. But if if I could just give them what I already know that works, and and that would honestly heal their hurts. But, but if you healed their hurts, do you think they would learn the lessons they needed to learn, though? Because look what you're doing now. Probably you, not. You went Probably through all not. of that you're hurt. You're absolutely right. You went through you're all of that hurt. You're absolutely right. And look what you're doing. You're doing so much good in the world. So, yeah, I don't know. I know what – Yeah, so and I would be the one. same as you. I would be the – no, 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 I would be the same yeah. as you. I would definitely be the same as you. I want to take people's pain away. I think it's horrible. Mm. But when I said that to somebody the other day, they said to me, but without pain we don't know happiness and without, you know, making mistakes we don't learn our lessons. So I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, okay, fair enough. That's very good. Well, and I, and whenever someone, whenever someone's telling me how, how horrible their day is, I'm like, without the lows, you cannot appreciate the highs. And if all we had was highs, we would never lean on God. We would think that we were just coasting through and we could do it all on our own. And it was no big deal. And we never needed anyone because guess what? If I never call my sister for help, if I never call and ask my husband for help, if I'm, if I'm completely self-sufficient, well then really what is life? If I don't lean in for love and I don't risk getting hurt. And so it's kind of an oxymoron, but you have to have both. You have to have both. Let's so, take away all the hurt and pain from children. I don't think children, children yeah. are like innocent. They don't, don't need to go it. through I shit, agree. basically. I agree. Um, I 100% yeah, agree. I don't know. I don't know. Look, thank you so much for coming on this. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I you. Loved it. Um, All right, yeah, girl. look, we'll get you on, we'll get your husband on. We need to get him on talking about prisoner to prisoner to preacher yes. and all of that malarkey Absolutely. and get you on talking about 
the how you survived like and you know what even even um even it's so funny so like he could talk about his single dad journey. It wasn't very, very oh my long, God. Oh, man, but I just loved it. Um, so he used to, he used to put all the kids' clothes. He put, he had five kids when I married him and he put all their clothes on a separate step. He washed their clothes every day and he put it on a separate step wow. and they had to take their clean clothes up. And all the boys wore whitey tidies. It was so funny. Oh, <laughs> funny. God love him. Shame. <laughs> yeah, but we will. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No. No, we'll book something in. It's awesome. Look, I'm going to let you get on because it's. I can see the window behind you. Nobody listening can see this, but it's getting dark. It's been like it was brilliant light and then it's slowly getting darker and darker and darker. It's cool. You have a fab evening. I'm going to go and have a great Sunday and um, we'll talk again. All right. Thank you so much. No, thank you. See you later. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.